Hey everybody, this is your hostess Shannon Early and I am so excited to have you back. I'm just so glad that I have an audience. I'm so glad that you even come to listen to what I have to say and I'm so excited to share my life with you guys. So today I'm going to tell you a true story. This is a story from my life and it's something that is perfect for November. Why is it perfect for November? I will tell you. My daughter Evangeline was born on November 16th in a certain year. And I wanted to tell you guys the birth story. Now listen, it's not a normal birth story. I don't want you to think, oh man, I've heard something like this before. No, you've definitely not heard anything like this before. And I think that this will be totally worth your while. So again, thank you so much for coming back to check out uh, Nesting with the Early Birds. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that jazz. Email me at nestingwiththeearlybirds at gmail.com or check out my website at nestingwiththeearlybirds.com. And remember, it is E-A-R-L-E-Y. So my daughter Evangeline, my little November baby, this story is something that maybe will um, stick with you guys or maybe it's something that you can relate to. I know that I had uh, heard once that when you don't have a birth experience that you plan to have, it can be quite traumatic. And that is exactly the situation that happened with this story. So before we get to her birth, we have to start like way, way back. And that is when Evan and I were finally married. We got married in June 2010, and one of those things, like on our first ever dates, I was like, do you ever want to have children? It was just so important to me that my husband wanted to have children. I knew that I wanted to have a huge family. I was the oldest of four children, and for me, having a big family was just what you did, and it's also something I really, really wanted. I really enjoyed coming home after school and never being alone. There was just always somebody there. Or if you had a bad day, there was always somebody there to hug you or talk to you or yell at you, whatever. It was never a quiet house. And so Evan had said, yeah, like he was willing to have a family, maybe two children. And I was like, no, I think you mean maybe four children. Uh, so <laughs> We used to talk about that a lot. And he said, you know, maybe I'll compromise with three one day, but I always wanted to shoot for two. So that way, you know, if I wanted, if Shannon wanted more then it would look like she won. So we had gotten married in June, 2010 and I was already like, so you want to have babies now? And he's like, no, like we got to wait. Evan at the time was getting his master's. He was working so hard and we had decided that I would be the one that was getting my hairstylist license and making minimum wage and that Evan would be the one supporting me. So that when I did have my license, I would be the one supporting him and he would be able to go back and finish his master's degree, do school full time, and I would take care of the family before that time period. Um, it turns out that God didn't have it, you know, designed that way. And um, I'm glad he didn't because we have an amazing family, an amazing family. So June, we get married and I want babies right away. He says, no. And so that January, the following January was my birthday. And I was like, I'm going to go to the OBGYN just in case, make sure that all my lady pots are going to work well by the time that we have babies. And uh, in the office, the doctor tells me that I had so many cysts on my ovaries that my chances of getting pregnant were close to none. I, I didn't understand it. And she hands me this pamphlet on polycystic ovarian syndrome she just kind of hands it to me callously and I'm looking at it and it's talking about the low, you know, chances of having birth. And this is why I've been having really heavy periods. And this is why I cramp all the time. And 
you know, it's going to cause things like facial hair, but also balding. You know, it was just a really exciting article. (laughs) It's exactly what I wanted to read. And I just started crying. And it was such a sorrow because I thought, why, Lord, would you put it on my heart to have such a big family if I couldn't even have children? Like, why would that be something that I was just really desiring and craving if, you know, God wasn't going to provide that for me? So I go home and Evan is really sad with me. He can see how hurt I am. And I'm just like weeping. And through praying together, you know, we prayed to God to show us why would he put that on our heart? Why would you tell us to have a big family if we couldn't? And we decided, you know what, we can have a family through fostering. And I live in the city of Richmond and there's a lot of children that need help. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to foster like 300 children. And this way I'll have the biggest family anyone's ever seen. And it's going to be like they're all my children. and It's going to be great. And so Evan and I decided that we would be foster parents for sure. Well, we also thought since I can't get pregnant, then we shouldn't, you know, prevent any pregnancy. It's not like we were trying for anything, but we just shouldn't prevent it just in case to see what would happen. The minute that I was okay with being a foster mom, uh, we got pregnant. So (laughs) we got pregnant like a month after this news of me having PCOS, which always shows that God's timing is just so different than ours. And also his plans are different than what the the world might tell you. And um, so just remember that, ladies, any of you that are going through infertility, remember God can do things that you wouldn't even imagine that the doctors have no idea how it's happening. Um, And so we were pregnant and it was super exciting. And I just couldn't believe it. And at the same time, when I got the test, I was scared because Evan wanted to do masters, you know, and he, he wasn't looking for children in any type of way, in any sort of future at all. Not that soon at all. He was looking in like a five-year plan. And here I am, I'm 24 years old and I'm pregnant. And again, like I was really excited, but I remember I told him and his face just was kind of blank. But he said, it was kind of like he heard me be like, we're pregnant, 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 pregnant. Like there was an echo, like he just couldn't wrap his head around it for a second. And so it was great. There was a lot of nausea. It was a typical pregnancy, I think, in that regard. Nothing super exciting. Um, but near the end of it, I started having a lot of difficulty breathing. And everybody kept telling me it was because my torso was so short. They were like, this is what pregnancy's like. You're going to feel so worn out. You know, you can't breathe because the baby's so far up in your lungs. Like, this is totally normal. Don't worry about it. And everyone just, you know, kept reassuring me. But I'm telling you guys, it was just getting difficult. And towards the end of October of that year, the baby was due in December. Towards the end of October, my breathing just got so bad that I I would almost pass out. And I was still a hairstylist at the time. And I told my boss, like, there's something wrong with your ventilation system. All the products that we're using all day, they're making me pass out, blah, 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 blah. And the boss is kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, everything's fine here, you know? And I would go home at night and I would just feel so worn out, like just so worn out, like something was wrong. But again, everybody was like, this is how you're supposed to feel. You're eight months pregnant. Like, this is a totally normal feeling. And it got to the point where I'd get home and I would have the shivers and the chills and I would just feel just terrible. And I would go to work and I would just, you know, it just got really hard. Like I was just trudging through mud or something like that. 
And uh, one day I did almost pass out, like for real, like saw stars, everything went black. I had to sit down. And this is like nothing that you want to happen to you when you're pregnant. This is like a pretty scary situation. And um, they sent me home early that day and I'm just like shivering uncontrollably. Well, that night was a dang Halloween party. It was October 29th and there was, I'm sorry. So the party was actually on October 30th and it was a Halloween party. And it's one of those parties that was like, just so great. You didn't want to miss it. But I just was like, I don't want to go. And Evan's like, what do you mean? Like you love going to parties. You love hanging out with friends. And I was just like, I feel awful. I just feel terrible. And I'm, you know, shivering. And finally he's like, babe, listen, like, let's just go try. Like once we get out of the house, I think you're going to feel so much better. And that's normally true. Like I can get a little anxious before I go somewhere and then I don't want to leave the place. But, uh, you know, he so he's like truly really warming me up with this. And that night I was actually the full moon and he painted my stomach like a moon. And then he was a werewolf. So it was pretty it was pretty amazing. And I go to the party and like we're having a good time, but I just feel so wiped out. It's hard to breathe. So I'm just kind of sitting most of the time. And um, when the party was like, I don't know, around midnight or 1 a.m., I was like, I, we need to go home. Like, I just can't stop shivering. I just feel awful. I go to take a bath and my stomach is like starting to cramp like really bad. And this isn't great because the baby's due like six and a half weeks away now at this point. And I know that the baby could survive. Everybody, you know, people have had children that have been born that early. But ideally... You want to let that baby cook a little longer. You know what I'm saying? I'm just having terrible cramps. And so I'm like, you know, let me just check my temperature. And that night my temperature was 104, which my doctor later told me if it's ever that high, you need to go to the hospital immediately. But Evan and I were so tight on money that we were so scared if I went to the ER and it, you know, wasn't for naught that we would be wasting all this money, which is such a silly way to think. But it's just how you think sometimes when you're young and you don't have a lot of money. And we just thought, you know, maybe I can just deal with it. Now that I know that I have a fever, I should take some medicine, just relax, take the day off of work like it's going to get better. Well, the next day was Halloween and I was just so in and out of fevers that day. I remember that it was time for trick or treating, like to hand out candy and everything. And I couldn't get off the couch. And at one point... I remember thinking I was hallucinating because this little tiny midget of a vampire came into our house. There was a little vampire person in our house just staring at me while I was laying on the couch. (laughs) I'm thinking, what is going on right now? It turns out a little boy did come into our house. But again, like I was having fever dreams. It was the weirdest thing. And so I'm like, you know what? We we have to go to the hospital. I started begging Evan like, "I, I really think it's time. So he puts me in the car and you guys, we get there on 1 a.m. And it was the most eerie, creepy, weird thing. When we pulled up, there's this full moon. Okay, there's a full moon. There's a little bit of fog on the moon. Very werewolf like. And there's this ambulance that's parked on the like there's like this ambulance cul-de-sac loop thing or whatever. It's parked in the loop, but on the curb. And the back doors were open, right? The lights are on, but no one's inside. And it is extremely quiet out there. It's so weird, right? And there's this weird, like I said, ambulance. It's tilted on its side a little with the doors open. And all I kept thinking about is like, this is like a zombie movie. This is like a zombie apocalypse. And we go inside the hospital and it was just so empty and quiet. And there was nobody like working anywhere. It was the weirdest thing. 
It turns out that somebody had had a cigarette inside the hospital. And so the whole hospital went on lockdown by the time we were there. But, you know, walking in and everything's quiet and there's no people moving. And it's the emergency room near the city. It was just the weirdest thing. So finally, we get help. The They send me to the back of the room and the doctor listens to my lungs. And then the doctor listens again and again. And they go and get another stethoscope. And they listen to my lungs again, and they call in another doctor. And they then go send me to get an x-ray. And at this point, we're like, what is going on? You know, like, I thought my stomach was just growing, you know, like, what's going on? And the doctor's like, you know, we don't know what's going on just yet, but it sounds like there's no air moving in one of your lungs. Like, there's just no airflow for some reason. Um, So they find out through the x-ray that my lung had actually collapsed. So... My lung was not working at all. It was a little shriveled pancake. And it turned out that I had severe bacterial pneumonia. Um, Bacterial versus viral. You know, virus, it can go away without medicine. You can get it, pass it on with people. Bacterial is, there's literally a bacteria growing inside of you that needs to be killed with antibiotics. And my lung was just filled with this white on the screen, like this just filled with stuff. And they said um, this was a really big problem because with bacterial infections, it can pass over the placenta and go into the baby once they get bad enough. Um, And they said that I probably had this bacterial pneumonia because I was aspirating, which is basically you're getting fluid into your lungs by breathing it in because I had so bad acid reflux because the baby was so far up in my stomach. And they said my acid reflux was probably what caused it. And they were like, we're just going to have to keep you in the hospital until your lung inflates. So we wait and we wait and a week goes by and my lung does not inflate. And every day, four times a day, I'm having these pulmonary specialists come in and they're like hitting my back with this percussive instrument. It's like on your back. I don't know what it's called. Um, They're doing it multiple times a day. They're giving me breathing treatments like something somebody with asthma or bronchitis might have and nothing's working. Like my lung will not inflate. And they're just pumping me with antibiotics, right? And another week goes by and my lung just will not inflate. And it is the same procedure every single day. The antibiotics, the percussive instrument, the pulmonary specialists, everything, right? But on the third day of the hospital, I forgot to tell you this, um, when my mind was getting a little bit clearer because I was actually on antibiotics and everything, the heart doctor comes in. And you see, guys, I had to go to a ton of specialists because this pneumonia was no joke and I had been walking around with it for so long that it was starting to wreak havoc on the other parts of my body so the heart doctor comes in and he tells me that I basically tore the lining of my heart Uh, my resting heart rate was around 200 beats per minute it was just going so fast and he's like do you know how serious your sickness is and my mom was sitting with me and I'm just like yeah you know it really I couldn't believe my lung was collapsed and he's like no It's like, I firmly believe that if you came in 24 hours later, your baby would have died. And he's like, and if you waited two days beyond that, you would have died as well. My mom and I are like, what the heck? Like, I had no idea it was so bad. And everyone's telling me, like, the way that you feel is normal. It's fine. You know, like, push through it. Poor women, guys. Us poor women that we would think that feeling so terribly is like normal and that people will just tell you to get over it. Like, geez, how bad do you think pregnancies are guys? And so, um, 
basically he told me that, you know, we were, it was a miracle that we came in on time and it was great that we were there. And so I'm staying in the hospital. Weeks just keep going by. And at the 37 week mark, they do an amniocentesis, which is where they get a needle and they stick it through your abdominal wall and through the placenta, through the, not maybe not through the placenta. I don't know. It's through the uterus so that they can get the amniotic fluid that's surrounding the baby. And they take a sample of that. And they wanted to take a sample of it to make sure that Evangeline's lungs were working. Um, because they started thinking about taking her out early. They were like, the risk to the mom is just so great. And um, I guess when a baby is able, when their lungs start working, they produce something that goes into the amniotic fluid. I don't know, guys. I'm not an OBGYN. Plus, like 10 years ago, when all of this was like fresh on my mind, I probably knew a lot more than I do now. But anyways, there's something in the water that shows that the lungs are developed. So, um, they do the amniotic fluid thing and yeah, her lungs look like they're good to go. And at this point she's at the 30, 37, yeah, 37 week mark. So, um, that night they begin to induce my labor with a balloon. And as I'm laying on the bed, my doctor's yelling, she's from Germany and she's like, I feel like we're in a third world country with this setup. And she's like yelling at the nurses and all the nurses are so terrified of this doctor. And I love her because she's just so like full of vigor and she's just, I don't know. She's like the guy you'd want in your corner. You know what I'm saying? She's she's a fighter and she doesn't mince words. She's really blunt. And when you're in danger, it's kind of like, that's the doctor I want. Like you can be mean to me all day because you're an excellent doctor. Um, So she's yelling at the nurses and, So I'm going, you know, it's starting to cramp me up a little bit, but really it's not working. So the next morning around 6 a.m. they come in and they tell me they want to use Pitocin. Well, I had done all of this Bradley method pre-labor stuff with my husband. Like we worked for weeks on wanting to do the Bradley method, which was, excuse me, which was no, which was no medicine, no medical intervention really until it was needed. And something, you know, you read about like, if you use this, then your baby's going to breathe low. And if you use this, then they're going to come out really limp and weak. And if you do this, like, you know, people are crazy about labor, man. They, It's like, I know at the end of the day, just getting the baby out healthy is what's important. But let me tell you, when you are a mom that's pregnant and like ready to, you know, have a baby, especially maybe your first or second baby, you really put so much effort and work into preparing this labor, thinking that, you know, you have to have it a certain way in order for your baby to have this good and healthy relationship with you, which guys, I'm with you if you didn't have that labor that you wished for. And I'm really sorry that happened because I I do understand what that's like. Anyways, we really wanted to do this Bradley method. And they're like, we need to use Pitocin in order to induce your labor. And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, fine, use that, but I don't want you to use any pain, painkillers, which, yes, labor is one thing. Uh, Pitocin is an entirely different beast. It just basically rocks your uterus. It just makes you have chronic, constant cramping in order to have this baby as fast as possible. And it was gnarly, but I'm like, I'm not going to use any pain med relief or whatever. So I'm like sitting on a medicine ball and I'm moaning like a cow, you know, it's just awful. And you have to remember my lung is still collapsed. And they tell me like, you know, we don't think you'll be able to do it because you're long, you know, you really don't have that much energy. And I'm like, just let me do it, you know? And so 
we're just working and working. And after 24 hours with no real progress, my uterus is just puttering out. I asked for the pain medicine. I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And the doctor says that at 9 p.m., my uterus just wasn't handling things well. It was just puttering out. It was getting weak. And not to mention, the baby's heart rate was dipping dangerously low every time there was a contraction. You could see it on the little monitor. Her heart rate was really, really getting lower. Um, It just turns out that my pelvis is not made for having babies. They thought it was my ovaries that would prevent me from having babies, but really it was my pelvis. Um, Evangeline's head was actually stuck in my pelvis and just unable to move forward. So they rushed me into an emergency C-section. And when they told me they had to do a C-section, I was like, no, I start crying. And they're like, it's okay. Of course, labor, you know, vaginal labors, like, of course, that's what you wish for. But, you know, we have to do this. This is so important. Um, not to mention there was a freak storm that night. We actually call my daughter Evangeline Stormborn because of it. There was this gigantic storm. My brother and my mom and father are driving over in my dad's truck and there's, it's just pouring buckets of rain. And they said that the water was flooding the bridges and the water was almost at half of the the tire height. Like it was insane. Multiple people actually died that night. (laughs) And so all the staff is telling me, like, you know, if there's a power outage, don't worry, because there's a special backup power for the OR. And I'm like, what? What is going on? Um, so my pastor ends up, call, you know, coming in to pray for me in this storm, which is just amazing. And they're wheeling me into the C-section room. And I'm just so sad. Like, I just really wished for this natural med-free birth. And here I was, you know, getting ready to have a C-section, something I didn't plan for at all. Like, I had done no research, nothing. All I knew about it was that this was like an evil thing that you shouldn't want at all. And they kept telling me that, like, you know, you have this collapsed lung. There's just no way that you continue. You can continue having labor. Um, And so, by the way, guys, a C-section feels crazy. Like they give you an epidural so you can't technically feel anything and they say you can feel pressure. And yes, yes, pressure is a word that can be used, but pressure, if you mean like somebody sitting on top of your chest and jiggling you around, because that's what it feels like when they take out the baby. They have to push on you so hard. There's something that could happen, I guess, where your uterine muscles could clamp down shut, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But they have to push you down so dang hard. It feels like you can't breathe. And already like I couldn't breathe. And so I'm like, what is going on? Anyway, so they push me down. They're like, you know, it's just a little pressure. And they're just jamming their arms in there, getting the baby out. And the baby comes out and, you know, it stinks. You can't see anything. You've got this giant curtain up. You're laying on your back. Your arms are to your sides, strapped up with medicine. You know, one arm has whatever medicine. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. And I was just vomiting because it was just, I just felt so nauseous. I didn't know if it was the morphine or actually having my organs touched. I have no idea, but I just couldn't stop throwing up. And um, they're like, oh, the baby's out. And then we don't hear anything. And then all the doctors and nurses start kind of rushing around really frantically. They're whispering. We don't know what they're saying, but we understand there's a problem. And my husband, Evan, is just gripping my hand like a vice. And he tells me that he can see them and they're they're like frantically like moving over Evangeline and doing things to her. And let me tell you something, guys. After what seemed like an eternity, she cried. All the work and all the weight 
and all the pain and the fear and the excitement were just wrapped up in that one little noise. And we heard it and we knew that everything would be okay. Our daughter, Evangeline Sophia, Evangeline meaning messenger of God, and Sophia, after my little sister, meaning the word wisdom, our wise messenger of God had finally arrived. And I couldn't wait to start my journey as a mom with her. So for any of you guys out there that maybe are sad about whatever happened to your labor, I understand. And for those of you that maybe you're pregnant and you're hearing this, listen, just trust your body. If you're feeling like terrible, like you're dying, you probably are. So go to a doctor, go check that out. But that was my first ever labor. And my daughter is now 10 years old. We just had her birthday and it was lovely. And she's a blessing to our family. She's still a messenger of God. She's like the strongest Christian out of all the kids so far. Um, she's just a delight. She's wonderful and serious and kind. And I love her. So thank you so much for coming back to my show. I hope you enjoyed listening to my labor story, wherever you are, if you're driving or working out, whatever it is, just be thankful that you have two lungs that are working. And I will talk to you guys next time. Thank you so much for coming back to Nesting with the Early Birds. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even nestingwiththeearlybirds.com or email me at nestingwiththeearlybirds at gmail.com. And remember that God totally loves you all the time.